0: So the Old Testament readings is from Isaiah 62, uh, again with the Epiphany readings, the theme of these uh most of the readings to Epiphany is the revelation of Jesus as God frequently to the Gentiles. Here it's uh you'll recognize this is similar to the, the readings we had last week, where the Gentiles get to see that Jesus is Lord. So from Isaiah 62. For Zion's sake I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. The nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory. And you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken and your land shall no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called my delight is in her. And your land married, for the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, First uh, Corinthians twelve for the epistle reading. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, uh, the epistle reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I think there's like four or five weeks left in Epiphany before we get to Ash Wednesday. And the epistle readings all follow on each other uh, if, for the rest of this uh, next month or so. We'll be reading starting at 1 Corinthians 12 uh, all the way through 1 Corinthians 15. And so what I want to do is I want to preach uh, on the epistle readings for the rest of Epiphany. And we'll kind of work our way through the back end of uh, 1 Corinthians and just see where it takes us. Uh, There's some good stuff in here. We'll talk about uh, the gifts of the Spirit like today. We'll talk about the body of Christ. Uh, We'll talk about love. We'll talk about the resurrection from the dead. Uh, There's lots of uh, good different things in here. And so I think this will be helpful. Uh, It will be to me, at least. Uh, So anyway, 1 Corinthians uh, 12. Can I read it again to you? Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, There are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities. But it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. And to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So there's basically uh, two main points that Paul makes here in this text that uh, I'd like to point out to you. There are a lot of different things in here that we're not going to get to, uh, but there's basically two main points I want to point out. Both of the points are about the Holy Spirit. This text is about the work of the Spirit in the church, right? So the first main point is this, is that it's the Holy Spirit that makes us Christians. It's the Holy Spirit that works in our heart to confess that Jesus is Lord. This is the last line uh, in the reading there from um, verse 3, the back end of verse 3. No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. In other words, if you confess, if you guys, and most of you do, if you confess that Jesus is Lord... It's because the Holy Spirit is working in your heart to say that. It's not the kind of thing that you can figure out on your own. It's actually kind of nonsense. Um, It's it's ridiculous on the face of it that a construction worker that was assassinated for crimes he didn't commit 2,000 years ago is somehow the Lord of the universe. If you believe that he is, it's because the Holy Spirit has convinced your heart that he is. Not because you're smart, smarter than the average person, not because you're dumber than the average person, but because the Holy Spirit has enabled you to confess that Jesus is Lord. Um, There's this other line in here at the beginning of verse 3 about nobody can say that Jesus is accursed if they have the Holy Spirit. We we don't really know what Paul's talking about here. We don't know what kind of scenario would arise where somebody would say, Jesus is accursed. There's plenty of times when that would happen. But where somebody would say, Jesus is accursed, and think that it's the Holy Spirit. So that Paul would have to say, no, that if you say Jesus is accursed, that's actually not the Holy Spirit. Uh, Possibly, you know, Christians were called, well, all Roman citizens were required to confess that Caesar is Lord one time a year, and burn a pinch of incense to him in one of the temples that were in most cities in the Greco-Roman world, devoted to Caesar. There were two such places in Israel, uh, one in Philippi and then one in Caesarea, uh, by the sea. Temples to Caesar where you could go and you could make your annual confession. Caesar is Lord. It's possible that Christians were forced to, well, we know for sure that Christians were forced to go to that, and um, some of them would not con- you know, some of them would confess that Caesar is Lord. Some of them would refuse to. It's possible that somebody would say something like, Jesus is accursed, and then say, God led me to say that in order, you know, to save myself and my family, or whatever. I, I We don't know. That's just conjecture, right? But I think probably what Paul is doing is he's saying, confession that Jesus is Lord comes from the Holy Spirit. Anything else, confessing that Jesus is not Lord or accursed, does not come from the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit always brings us to Jesus. That's the number one thing the Spirit does. We can talk about all the other interesting things the Spirit does in this text, but the number one thing that the Spirit always does is brings us to Jesus. It's the number one job of the Holy Spirit is to apply salvation to us, right? Jesus is Lord. Now, is it possible to just say the words? Because he says, what does he say in verse three? He says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're thinking, isn't it possible just to say the words Jesus is Lord without the Holy Spirit? Uh, I guess, uh, sure, anybody could uh, say it. But to actually confess that Jesus is Lord, Think about what you're confessing when you say Jesus is Lord. It's not—I guess for us who say it all the time, it's just this sort of like formula: Jesus is Lord. But what we're actually saying is that Jesus is the master of the universe. There's this song that Angela used to sing at—she used to—she was a counselor at a camp when we were in college, and they used to sing this song. Some of you might know it, and I'm not going to sing it for you. That went: I'll say yes. I'll say yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way. I'll say yes, Lord, yes, I will trust you and obey. When your spirit speaks to me, with my whole heart I'll agree, and my answer will be yes, Lord, yes. Well, that's a good song. And what the song recognizes is that, right, it's impossible to say no, Lord. If you say no to him, he's not really the Lord, he's not really your Lord, he's not really your master. If you can disagree with him, even if there's like 90% of your life, 90% of your worldview where you do say, oh yeah, yeah, Jesus is in charge of this. I believe him and I trust him and that's where I get my comfort. That's where I get my security. If there's part of our lives, and there always is, right, where we say, "I I can't actually let him have that. Then in that part of our lives, he's not the Lord. In that sense, to confess that Jesus is Lord can only come from the Holy Spirit. Because naturally we want control of our own lives. We want to be in charge of all these areas. There are some areas where, where he is not in charge and we've taken that control from him. And in those parts of the area, in those areas, we need to be challenged that our confession of Jesus as Lord needs to play out in all of our lives. If we confess that Jesus is Lord, it means that he's in charge. And again, back to the main point, this confession only comes from him. It can only, it's only a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a confession that we can't save ourselves, right? that we need him for every single uh, little part of our lives. And this confession, the confession that Jesus is Lord, is what, now we're transitioning to the second part here. It's what binds all of us together as Christians. It is the main thing that connects you to the rest of, rest of the Christians in this world, is this confession that Jesus is Lord. There are things that, diff, that make us different than other Christians. There are things that make you different from the Christians sitting next to you in the pew, quite possibly your spouse or a good friend or your children. But the main thing that binds us together is this confession that Jesus is Lord. Well, the, not, not just the confession, but the fact that Jesus rules over us. There are lots of, you know, there are a lot, you all think differently about a lot of different things in your life. Some of you, uh, so I, I know, and, I, and I've talked a lot about this recently, so I don't want to hammer this home again. But a lot of you think differently about politics. There are some of you in here who are Republicans. There are some of you in here who are Democrats. There are some of you in here who don't consider yourself either one. You're somewhere in the middle, right? But all of you, whatever differences you have politically, there's one thing that binds you, which is more and more powerful than the, than the bounds that you have with people with whom you have similar politics but aren't sitting in this room with you right now, and that is the confession that Jesus is Lord. Let me give you an example. This is a bad example. Um, it's not about me, but it very well could be about me. So, when I was in, uh, when I was in first, when I was first in grad school, I worked at a bank in Alton. I was a teller at a bank in Alton. And, uh, you know, friends with all the other tellers. And there was these, uh, this one day where these two tellers were ganging up on this other teller. They spent maybe a half hour, uh, trying to convince this other teller that she was wrong about something that she thought. All right. Now, she was a charismatic Christian. And she uh, believed in the charismatic gift. She believed in speaking in tongues and things like that. And these other two tellers were trying to convince her that she was wrong, uh, dumb at one point. There were some jokes being made about how ridiculous it is. And the two tellers who were making fun of this one teller, one was an Orthodox Christian believer like me and you. She wasn't a Lutheran, but she believed in the Apostles' Creed. She believed... In 99% of what you and I believe, those of you who are Christians in this room. The other one was, the other girl who was uh, ganging up on this woman was a Jehovah's Witness, who does not confess that Jesus is God, does not confess that in Jesus, God was suffering for the sins of the world on the cross. The two of them both agreed, though, that the charismatic gifts were ridiculous. And so they were going to gang up on this poor fellow Christian, right? The, the, the woman who was like me and you had no business ganging up on this other woman with whom she shared the confession that Jesus is Lord. But because in her mind, the differences between her and this fellow Christian were so great. She was so much more similar to this Jehovah's Witness who didn't exercise the charismatic gifts that she was willing to gang up on them. The confession that Jesus is Lord binds us together in ways that supersede all the other little silly bindings together that we have with people with whom we don't share the confession. Political, socioeconomic, ethnic, hobbies, whatever, you know, your golf club, whatever it is. The confession, do you know the people in this room? Maybe not all of them. Lots of differences in here. We are bound together like this in the confession that Jesus is Lord. And when we begin to stray away from this, we begin to experience this fracturing, not just of the church, but of ourselves inside. I'll give you another example, much more closer to home. A lot of you guys know this. 10 to 15 years ago, in the southern Illinois district of the LCMS, there was this movement towards Eastern Orthodoxy where several pastors were abandoning salvation by faith alone because they loved the liturgy. They loved the high churchiness of it. They believed that, that being faithful to the history of the fathers was super important. So, I mean, this is for, not, not all of you know this, but, but some of you know this is what happened to St. James Lutheran Church is that one of these pastors abandoned the confession that salvation is in Jesus alone to move towards the Eastern Orthodox Church where salvation is by Jesus, but also by the things that we bring to the table as well. Fracturing this church, the the confession that Jesus is Lord is the most important thing that we have. It binds us together. That brings us to the second thing here. In the binding us together, this confession... Where the Spirit, which causes this confession, gives all of us gifts to enable this binding to happen. So, back in verse 4. There are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. Varieties of service, but the same Lord. Varieties of activities. The same God who empowers them all and everyone. And then he gives a list of different types of gifts that the Spirit gives to each one of us. Now, this is not exhaustive. You can look in different sections in Paul for different types of lists with different gifts. You can look in Peter and he'll have a different sort of list as well. There's no exhaustive list. This is all the, you know, have you ever been in a church? I know where you have like a list of all the gifts and then you do like these uh, Cosmo type quizzes where you try to figure out what your spiritual gift is. That's probably a bunch of nonsense. Not that it's bad to talk about the spiritual gifts and uh, not that it's bad to take Cosmo type qu- quizzes. They're probably kind of fun. But finding out the spiritual gift is less looking through a list and saying, hey, where am I at in here? And more, knowing that God gifts his people, but that it's his initiative. very last line of our text is going to say, it's the Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. The Holy Spirit's going to give you a gift. You should foster that in his power. But the gift that he wants you to have, he's going to give to you. Now, a little caveat here. I know that we just talked about uh, charismatic gifts because uh, I mentioned that story I have no intention of talking about that here, not because it's not interesting, but because we just don't have time to talk about all the different gifts that are in 1 Corinthians 12 right here. If you feel like it, you could show up at adult Bible study after this and we could discuss it. But I'm not going to do it in the sermon. Again, not because I'm scared to, not because I think it's unimportant, because there's a couple big major points that I want to make instead of that. So I'm kind of putting it off just a tiny bit. But again, come downstairs afterwards and ask me about it. We can talk about it all you want. Okay. Here's the big points that I want to make about um, the back half of our reading today is this. The Holy Spirit gives us gifts to serve each other. The, gift that, the gifts that you've been given by the Holy Spirit have been given to you in order to serve the body of Christ. Watch the trajectory here. Verse 4, there is one spirit. There are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. Verse 5. Uh, let me find it here. Uh so let me jump down to, uh, uh, verse eight. To one is given through the spirit, the utterance of wisdom. I'm sorry. Verse five is right. Varieties of service, but the same Lord and the varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all, uh, in everyone. So verses four, five, and six are basically saying there's one spirit, but there's a bunch of different gifts. There's a bunch of different gifts. But the purpose of these, of all these different, uh, gifts is to verse seven, To each is given the manifestation for the common good. So there's one Spirit gives a bunch of different gifts for the one church, for the common good. The Holy Spirit gives you gifts to serve each other, to serve each other. So let me ask you this question. This is a little bit challenging. I'm not usually this like, I, I try not to usually be this much in your face with law sort of things, but... Let me ask you this. I want you to think about this honestly. Are you using the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given you? I want you to think about yourself for a second. How, how are you using the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given you to serve the body? Is there a way that you are serving St. James Lutheran Church? And I don't mean like the, the, you know, the building or like this corporate entity, or whatever, but are you serving the community in some way? If not, why? I I think I know why, because this is my impulse as well. We, I'm going to say we Lutherans, I know other Christians as well, but we Lutherans, it is so much in our head that church is this event right now. That church is this one hour where we get together. And yeah, I go to church. I'm a part of a church. St. James is my family. What we mean is like we regularly more or less... Show up here on Sunday mornings. What Paul is saying is that if your confession is Jesus is Lord and you have the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which if your confession of Jesus, if your confession is Jesus is Lord, that means you have the Holy Spirit, which means you've been gifted, which means you've been called to serve the body. Something is fundamentally wrong with our Christianity if what Christianity is, is just showing up to church faithfully. Or, you know, Doing whatever it is that you do when you show up to church. I put my money in the offering. I I say hi to people. I try to be friendly. If that's all that it is, if we aren't, let me say this, if we aren't living life together, using the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given us to actually be involved in each other's lives and helping each other, then we aren't actually living out the confession that Jesus is Lord. I'm not saying that we're not Christians. I'm saying that we have not yet arrived to the place where we are experiencing what it means to have Jesus as Lord where we are experiencing, Jesus is your Lord, I'm not saying you're not a Christian, but we're experiencing what it means to live in the fullness of God's love, to live in the fellowship with the Holy Spirit, to live in the fullness of the power of Jesus Christ. We have not yet come to experience Now, what this means is that your life will radically change. If you want to follow this confession that Jesus is Lord and start to live this life together, your life will radically change. You will no longer be able to be content with being a Sunday morning only person. You will have to change the way you think about Christianity. And of course, Christianity is challenging. If we've made it so easy that it's accessible and easily accomplished, then we somehow have gutted it of its strength. We've somehow gutted it of its call to control all of our lives. We've somehow made Jesus not the Lord, but the thing we do on Sunday morning. We've made him not the operating system, but just another app on our phone. That we flick on, go to church; flick off, go to lunch. And the way that you live this out is by exercising your spiritual gifts. Look, do do you? I know a lot of you want. A lot of you feel like this. Do you wish that you could experience God in a a more close way? I know. I you know we're like. I I know. I I go to church. I believe stuff. I don't. You know, I went to confirmation. I believe that stuff, but I don't know. I just it's. I don't. Is God there? Is he really here? If that's the way you feel, it's quite possible that you've not yet experienced the fullness of God's power because you've not yet experienced the fullness of life together. God works in His church. Let me point this out to you real quickly. Did you guys notice this? This will be the fourth time I've read this now, and it's really good. Look at verse four. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities. But it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. What's Paul saying here? By exercising your spiritual gifts, you are involved not just in life together, but look who else's life you're involved in. Did you see who else got mentioned there? Verse four, the Spirit. Verse five, the Lord. Who's the Lord? Uh, Jesus is Lord. That was the confession back in verse, uh, um, three, right? And then in verse six, uh, God. Varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. There's a confession of the Trinity right there. Spirit, Jesus is Lord, and God. By participating in life together in the church, by exercising your spiritual gifts, you actually participate in the life of God. The Holy Spirit pulls you up into his own life. Do you want to experience this fullness? By sharing your spiritual gifts, by becoming involved If I say in the life of the church, it means like sign up for a program. I don't mean that. I mean like in our lives, like our day-to-day lives, everybody else's. By participating in this life, we will begin to experience the power of the Lord, the fellowship of the Spirit, the love of God the Father. Amen.